Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and go go on through uh, Ephesians, finish it up today, and um, as you know, next next Sunday we have our seder. Our seder is a uh, Passover meal that we have here in church, and that seder, that special Sunday, we start at ten o'clock in the morning. Okay, we start at ten o'clock and we start over there next door. Well, we won't be meeting in here. We'll set up over there uh, the day before. Uh, we can use some volunteers. Anybody can come out and help out uh, Saturday. Saturday morning about uh, 10 o'clock in the morning and uh, come on out. We'll have some coffee and some fellowship and we'll just set up the tables. Should take us about an hour or two, a couple hours at the most. We should be done by 12. And uh, and we'll we'll set up the rooms and the tables and we'll set it all up. And you'll see how it's all set up. It's going to have the ta- the plate, the Seder plate. It's a very special plate that we have that the that they would use. Uh, we'll have all the, the condiments on it, all the herbs and bitter, bitter herbs and all the things that they come together with that uh, special celebration. So Saturday, if you can get here early, uh, I, we want to start at 10 because it is a two-hour service. And the reason it's so long is because we have a meal right in the middle of it. So we're going to get to eat uh, and, uh, and enjoy. Everybody's bringing, well, most people are bringing stuff. And I've already got a few uh, reservations people have called. So be here early. That Sunday, uh, if you could, those are going to be helping set up. If, you, if we can get there at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, we can just finish up the last touch-ups and whatnot. And those of you that are bringing food, uh, bring it in early as well, 9.30 at the latest, 9 o'clock if you could, 9.30 at the latest. And, and if you have any people, anybody else that you'd like to invite, please invite them. So that's our Seder. That's next Sunday. We start at 10. We traditionally have the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. That is being moved over to next Sunday because we're going to do the Lord's Supper together. We're going to show you where the bread and the wine comes from or the juice and how it all just ties together. And you'll see that that how it, it it's just a beautiful picture of who Jesus Christ is. So I'm gonna encourage you to be here early, bring some friends, and uh, we'll we'll set up and we'll have a really nice time. The following Sunday, of course, is Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, I'm gonna start off in the book of Philippians, the next book that we have after Ephesians, and we're gonna talk about the gospel message. You have people that need to hear the gospel message. Uh, the gospel message is always a great uh, encourager for me as well. I need to hear the gospel message over and over and over again. I need to be reminded that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away my sin. I need to be reminded. And I know that if I need to be reminded, I think most of us need to be reminded as well. Yet there's some people that you may know that haven't received Christ as their personal Savior or not walking according to the uh, the calling that they have received. And and you might want to invite them. It's Easter. Come on. We'll, we'll get together. I'll buy you lunch if you want. You know, we'll, we'll just whatever it is that you can do to get people here on Sunday morning. But most importantly, pray for them. Pray for them. Some people won't come to our church, and that's okay, but pray for them that they go to another church somewhere that they can hear the gospel message. Amen? That is our call as believers. And that's what we're going to talk about today, our uh, body armor of the believers, the body armor of the believers. So I'd like for you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to go from verses 14 and on to the end of the chapter and finish up today. We've got a lot to cover, a lot to unpack, and so we're just going to kind of go through this as, uh, as best we can. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, lead in a word of prayer uh, right after we're done here. I want to lift up any prayer requests or petitions that you have as soon as we finish reading this. Anybody like uh, have any prayer petitions or requests? Yes. Mona? Okay. Let's pray for Mona. And Jan? 
Hi, Jan. I'm glad you're here today. I know you're not feeling well, but I'm glad you made it. Very good. Richard? Okay. Richard, I don't know if you, those of you that just arrived, uh, but we've been praying for Richard and his family. They lost their grandson. Uh, just turned 17. Just turned 17 uh, this last week, so keep him in prayer. And uh, we'll be doing a service here for those of you that uh, would like to participate. And for those of you that are, are here available, please, uh, whenever it is that we have it, I want to encourage you to be here and, and show some love to Richard and his family and his daughter. What's your daughter's name, by the way? Martha. Martha and David, right? Michael. Michael, that's right. Yeah, and his name was uh, his grandson's name was Lazarus. Okay, anybody else? Keep praying for um, praying for Mercedes and her family. They just uh, lost their mom just recently. And um, we had a funeral service for them as well. Um, so keep them in prayer as well. Mercedes' family. Anyone else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you again for your gentle touch that you give us. Uh, when we need direction, when we need reprimand, when we need a reminder, we thank you, Father. Thank you for being gentle. And sometimes it is painful. And painful situations help us to change and to look to you, to recognize who you are. And Father, we know that in spite of what goes on in this world, you are still in control. And it's because that you are in control that you've already defeated our enemy, the devil. You've already defeated him. And right now, Lord, you are asking us to stand firm in the spiritual armor that you've already provided for us. And how Jesus Christ has died for it. How the Holy Spirit just gives us this spiritual armor that we need to, to be able to stand up and go up against anything that comes our way because you have already defeated the enemy. And we do pray for those that are mourning and those that are going through so much right now, Lord. I lift up to you my sister Isabel that lost her husband and is still grieving in the process of, of, of going through all his things and having to deal with the loss of, of what she should do from this point forward. And I do pray for James and uh, his sister Mona and uh, his children as well. And Father, just the things that uh, they've been going through. We pray that you touch Mona in such a special way today that, that she is able to sense that there is somebody praying for her, though she may not be here. In the same manner that you would minister to Martha and to Michael as they are grieving the loss of their son, Lord. And I pray that, that they just recognize that you are there, you're present, and we are lifting them up in prayer. On, on top of all the others that are also praying for them as well. We pray for Jan and healing that you can give her strength, that she can continue on one more day. You give her grace. Each one of us, you give us grace just for today. You give us the grace that we need. You give us the grace that we, we, we need for today. Now, you don't give us yesterday's grace or tomorrow's grace, but you give us the grace of every day. So we pray for her, for her uh, all the issues that she's going through in life. And, of course, we pray for Mercedes and her children, the grandchildren of, of Mercedes that passed away, Lord. We lift them up to you. It's never easy to go through. But, Lord, I know that in your word and with your fellow believers around each one of them, you will be able to comfort and encourage each one. Lord, we, we do come before you as broken people. This world has taken us apart and shared so many, done so many things in our lives that we are just uh, wondering what's going to happen next. And so we have to be steadfast, standing firm in your word and in the armor that you've already provided for us. So Lord, lead us this morning as we finish up this book of Ephesians and get ready for the next season of this year, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. All right. The whole armor of God, we've been talking about what Paul has been leading to all this, all this time. 
If you've been with us any time, any length of time in the past year from July on, we've been talking about how Paul has already placed us in position, those that are saved. He's positionally said, you, you were once dead, now you're alive. You've been predestined from the foundations of the world. Your name has been written in the book of life. You have been saved from this darkness. You have been, your eyes have been opened. You were dead in your trespass and your sin. Jesus Christ made you alive when he died, and he brought salvation unto you and your family and unto your household for those who believe. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. Nothing else, no works. It is by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's what we believe, and that's what we preach. And because you are saved, because you are growing, because you are developing in your ministry and in your life and in your, in, in your own heart, as you're growing into maturity, Paul has given, Paul has said that he's, that God has given us apostles and teachers and pastors and, and, uh, those evangelists to help build you up so that you will not be tossed back and fro from all kinds of winds and doctrine. And because you're going through all this, you've learned that we are to submit to one another. And as we submit to one another, our pride welds up. And so Paul lends out this, this formula, this formula from God. He says, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands. Husbands be submissive to your wives. Children be submissive to your parents. Parents be submissive to your children. And we went through this whole ordeal on how that happens, how that all works together. And you have to go back and look at that. And, and if you're walking this walk that Paul has asked us to walk, he's as, as if you're, if you're standing firm, if you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and, and if you're being submitted to your, your superiors at work and your work, and, and as a, as a boss being sub- submitted to your employees, and, and you're doing all of this, then what happens at the very end, what Paul says, finally, he says in verse 10 of your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not your might, but his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so what Paul is talking about here, he says, okay, if you're going to be living this life that we've been talking about, trials are going to come. Temptations are going to come. The enemy is going to come. He's going to want to knock you off your step. He's going to want to knock you off from where you're going in the direction that you're going because he knows that, yes, you may go to church. Yes, you may even be saved. Yes, you are reading your Bible. But he knows that when you are ineffective in life, living these things out, then he's won the battle. But the battle is not yours to fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's already been defeated. For those who are in Christ Jesus... Those are the ones that can stand firm. And, and Paul is saying, because this is something that you've already learned, you know that Satan's going to oppose in many ways the direction and, and the, the, the path that you're trying to take. And it's obvious for those that are in Christ and sometimes not too obvious for some of us because it comes very subtly. We have to be suited and booted in the armor of God. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But you see, one of the ways that Satan uh, attacks us, first of all, uh, what he attempts to do is he tries to tries tries to impugn on God's character. In other words, he tries to you know lie to you about who God is. God doesn't really care. He does, he's not even there. He's not even in existence. If he really cared, you wouldn't be going through all this struggle that you're going through, beloved. It's going to happen whether God exists or not. It's going to happen. Things happen in life because that's just life. People ask me that, why do these bad things happen in this world? Well, because this world is a broken planet. And in this world, there's a bunch of sin. And because there's sin, there's disease. And there's anger and animosity. And there's murder and there's hate. And all these things that are in the world because of sin. Well, why can't God fix it? And God says, I am fixing it. I am fixing it. 
But he's waiting. One day he's going to return, as we've been praying, as we've been, as we've been uh, singing about. One day he will return and he will take care of everything. He'll get rid of all the sin in the world. But until he does that, he says, I'm holding back. He says, I'm, I'm wanting to be patient with you because I want you to get saved. There are people still in the world that have not come to know who Jesus Christ is for whatever reason. And we ourselves need to be the ones to proclaim that to our loved ones, especially. But I don't want to offend them. I don't want to you know, talk you know, to them or bad about them. They'll figure it out. Beloved, they won't unless you tell them. You have to tell them. And so what happens is God uh, is, is on his throne and Satan is on the earth and Satan is talking to all the people on God's throne saying, God doesn't really care about you. He told that to Eve. You know, God just doesn't want you to know everything he knows. He knows that the moment you eat that fruit, you're going to become like God. And all of us want to be like God. And so Satan comes at us from all sorts of different ways. Another way that he comes to is he tries to undermine and, and, the, and present victory by by all the things that are happening in your life. He undermines the victories that you go through. And, and you might go through one victory, and you might go through another one, and, and then all of a sudden something else happens, and it makes life difficult. And as I said earlier, what happens is we get the temptation to believe that, you know, God is really not, you know, there. Or you might even get the wrong idea, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, from false prophets and false teachers, that the reason you're not getting healed, the reason you're not being wealthy, the reason things aren't working out for you is because you don't have enough faith. But if you had enough faith, all these things would be taken care of. And, you know, that's, one, that's the first sign, the first sign before Jesus Christ returns. And as I said before, people have asked me now that these wars are going on in the Ukraine and Russia, these pestilences and diseases that have come up with COVID-19 and all the other uh, ones that have been generated by it and all the, the, the famine that's going on in the world. People always ask me, are these the signs? There's earthquakes. Every time there's an earthquake, there's a sign there. Is, does that mean that the end time is near? Beloved, the first, first sign that Jesus Christ talks about, he says, beware and do not be deceived because there will be false prophets. That's the first sign. There's this, this idea throughout the, and, and this is not of the false political leaders, of those that are lying to us. This is not about any of the world leaders. This is within the church, telling the church, this is how you are to behave, and, and this is how you can claim God. Like, you know, you know, it's, it's like, if something's going on in my life, and I, and I jump up there and say, God, how come you're not listening to me? Why aren't you answering my prayer? As if I had all authority. As if I'm the one that is able to tell God what to do. And God is answering my prayer, but not the way I want it. In the way he sees it fit. And Satan will tempt you and say, you know, you might as well just forget it. You'll never, you'll never measure up. God expects perfection and you can't do that. He even tells you you're not perfect. You go to church and they'll tell you that you're a sinner. You know, why even try? Another way that Satan attacks believers is through doctrinal confusion, as I said a little while ago. It is important to know your word. You got to know what the Bible says. You know, people say God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. People say, you know, well, I got to take care of things on my own. You know, that, that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is not a biblical phrase. That came up a long time ago and somebody just says, yeah, that sounds good. It's in the Bible somewhere. But what the Bible teaches is this, is that God helps those who ask. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. And you'll find in the word of God that all your answers are there. And so there's doctrinal confusion the way that Satan comes at you. Another way that Satan attacks God's people is by hindering you to do service. 
He, 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 he opposes every fruitful and faithful life. Everybody that's doing good in the ministry, he opposes that and he comes up against you. And you might get dis- discouraged and distracted. You might even get frustrated because things don't seem to be working right. And it's because you're working against an evil system. You have to be suited and booted in order to move forward every single day, not just on Sundays, but every single day. Satan attacks believers by causing division in the church. Satan attacks believers by causing division in the family. Satan causes division in the workplace. That's how he works. See, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers and the powers and the authorities in this dark and evil age. And so Paul is saying you have to get... You have to get suited with the full armor of God because all the struggles that you go through, it's not against you and me. If you have a problem with me, it's not really you and me. It's the spiritual forces that are behind the scenes. As we read uh, here a couple of weeks ago in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. See, we don't wrestle against flesh. We don't wrestle against each other. It's not you and me that have a problem. It's the forces that are behind the scenes that nobody sees and people don't want to see. A lot of people love to live in their denial. Oh, that stuff doesn't happen. They love to live as if Satan doesn't exist. And then there's other people that like to live and like he exists everywhere. You know, that if, if I drop a cup, oh, Satan made me drop that. Or the devil caused me to do this. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. You have to know that there is an enemy that wants you destroyed. All he wants to do is kill you, destroy you. He wants to lie to you. That's all he does. And he wants to tell you that you don't matter. God isn't there to help you. The church is going to judge you. They don't care about you. And all these lies that come up, and there's they cause this division within the church, within the family. Beloved, it is so heartbreaking to see within my own family, I mean, just the division that it's caused and, and just everything. that it, And most of it, you can almost pinpoint it down to one thing. Well, of course, they don't have Christ. As I told my sister the other day, she says, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And I go, life doesn't make sense without Jesus. Why is everybody just always drunk and mad? Because that's the common denominator. Is this alcohol and drugs that people are so involved in? It's just, that's the common denominator. And it makes people feel good, supposedly. You know, and when you're young, it's, it, it was fun. And, you know, when you get a little bit older, it's, it's cute, you know. But, but when you're old, that's just pathetic. Everybody looking for a, you know, it's 60, 70 years old, you know, just, you know, grow up already. And some people don't ever, ever grow up. And they stay in that. And, you know, this stuff just messes with your mind. Not, not like in causing all these tricks, but literally eats your mind away. Your whole body. Satan attacks believers by persuading them to trust in their own resources. He he, he attacks you and says, look, you can do this on your own. Don't worry about anybody else. I I am really blessed and I'm I'm encouraged to see that you two families that are here that that, that are are not wanting to do this on your own. You you need some sort of uh, encouragement and blessing and and people around you. And and this is where you find it. You should find it in the family of God. This is the household that you should find it in. And no trust in your own power, your own resources, your own strength. God gave you those resources. He gave you that strength and understanding to use it for his kingdom. And you use it to bless others. And and God blesses you in return. And most people think, no, I can do this on my own. 
You know, that's, that's, just a, that's just a common grace that He gives everyone. But the grace that we're talking about, that saving grace, comes from Jesus Christ alone for those who are His. Satan attacks believers by leading them into hypocrisy. To believing, you know, as I said before, hypocrisy, it's, it comes from the Greek word hypocrites, and it means putting on a mask. It was used as a theatrical uh, stage hand, and one person that would go up and, as a, an actor, and he would wear a mask, and he would pretend to be something, and then he'd go off stage and put on another mask, and he would be, pretend to be something else. And Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. They put on these masks, and they act like they're all holy and, and whatever, but when they go home, they're just like rotten tombs inside. They're like old bones inside. They're whitewashed on the outside, but man, they're rotten on the inside. And this is, this is the, the hypocritical thing about people. Now, just to, just to kind of clear up a little bit of things on that, I've been called a hypocrite because, well, you know, I, as you know, I used to party and drink and you know, do all kinds of stuff. At the age of 30, the Lord rescued me and pulled me out of that. And I've been told, well, you used to do it. Didn't that make you a hypocrite? No, that makes me a prophet. See, a prophet is one that has been there, has seen the devastation, and is now telling somebody else, hey, look, I know what this can cause. See, a hypocrite is one that says, you know, drink over here, smoke a little pot over there, and then go over and tell somebody else, don't do that. That's a hypocrite. You see, you've been through some experiences in life that you know better now. You know better that those aren't the things that you should be doing. A prophet goes through certain things and pronounces it, look, this is what God has showed me. Through his word. And a hypocrite is one that is willing to just be used by the devil. To pretend he's something he's not. Satan attacks believers by leading them into worldliness. By enticing them to the world. And the world just kind of squeezes us into its mold. And everything else around us seems to be okay. The music is good. The videos are good. You know, everything around us is is good. It feels good. But if you follow it any further, you'll know that it always leaves you empty. Always leaves you empty. The only thing that never lets you down is Jesus Christ. There are a lot of ways that Satan attacks believers by leading them to disobey God's word. When God's word says, do one thing, you want to do something else. When God's word says, this is how you should live, and says, well, who who does he think he is, God? (laughs) You know, God created this planet. God made everything on this planet. And for most people that believe that, they believe that, they understand that. They understand that God is the creator and sustainer of all. And because he created this planet, guess what? He gets to set the rules. He's God. And he says, these are my rules. And they're rules and they're laws for your protection. They're for your protection. Why do you think he says, you know, do not have sex outside of marriage? Do not commit adultery. Oh, he doesn't want you to have fun is what Satan says. He doesn't want you to experiment. He doesn't want you to do all these various things that that he knows that are going to be good for you. Because if you follow that, all, that logic all the way through, you'll realize that, you know what? God created man and woman for each other, for one. And when you have this relationship with one person for the rest of your life, it's a lot sweeter. People are looking for a relationship that they see. They'll see somebody that's been married 40, 50 years, 30 years. They want that without having to go through all of this. And they see that and they get rid of this one and they get rid of that one. They want a happy relationship. Because that's what God has designed you for. He, he hasn't designed you to tell falsehoods. As a matter of fact, every time that we lie, we come up with all kinds of various reasons as to why we should be lying. The mental breakdown just on trying to keep together one lie. It causes your mind to go all kinds of different ways. A person that is 
keeping away from lying, their mind is clear and fresh, and they don't have to try to remember what it was that they lied about. You see, those are just two things. When God says worship Him, He means it for your benefit. Because when you worship God, guess what? The blessings fall upon you. Many people want to be happy. I've had people tell me, well, Pastor, I've got to move on because God wants me to be happy. No, He wants you to be holy. When you pursue happiness, guess what happens? And this is the fault of our Constitution, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. You know, you can pursue life, you can pursue liberty and happiness in this world because that is a, a, apparently toward our Constitution, with our Constitution, a, an unalienable right. God has given that to you. But that's not a biblical concept. God desires for you to be holy. You see, when you pursue happiness, you're never going to get fully satisfied. You won't get satisfied because there's so many things out there that you want. Well, once this thing makes you happy, okay, that, that, that's, I'm bored with that. What's next? And what's next? And what's next? See, but when you pursue holiness, when you pursue God, and you pursue to be closer to God, guess what happens? He adds on happiness. He adds on the desires of your heart. He adds on just the peace that comes from pursuing holiness. You'll never get holiness by pursuing happiness. But you'll get happiness out of pursuing holiness. See how that works? Everything that your heart desires, God wants to give you when you pursue Him. And when you pursue Him, you'll find out, I really don't need that. I I don't need that extra money. I don't need all that other stuff. I don't need all those things that I thought were going to make me happy. You see, Satan attacks us in all kinds of different ways. Now, add to that the the demonic oppression, all those other things, the possessions. Christians cannot be possessed. In spite of what people have tried to tell you, Christian cannot be possessed. That's just the plain and simple. Either you're possessed by the Holy Spirit or you're possessed by a demonic spirit. You can't be possessed by both. And if you're a genuine believer, Satan cannot possess you. And this is why Paul starts off in verse 14. He says, 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Twice, He says, stand, withstand. And then in verse 14, he says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. Excuse me, by the gospel of peace. Number one in your outlines. Body armor. Paul says, first of all, We need to understand what the equipment God supplies. The equipment that God supplies. And this is just basic. Basic clothing, basic articles. The equipment that God supplies is basic. For most guys, and I guess for some ladies as well, but you got to remember, this is not just gender specific. This is an analogy, a picture. You know, Paul doesn't want you to actually go out and buy a belt. But he's showing you a picture of what he sees. And as I've said before, Paul is in prison. He's chained to a guard. He's looking at this guard, suited and booted for war. And he says, you know, we're in this battle, this spiritual battle that's out there. There's a spiritual battle going on out there. And I've got to tell my beloved believers to suit up and to be ready. you got to put on the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth, the belt that has always been known as something to hold your girdle or your cloak. As Roman soldiers, they would dress in this huge cloak 
type of thing, you know, they had to keep them warm at night and it also act as a pillow and it was just part of their garment of what they wore. And they put a, a belt around it to keep it, you know, from flopping around. Now, when it was time for battle, they would girdle their loins. They would gird their loins. And the way they would gird their loins is they would take this robe, put it between their legs and then stuff it in the belt, cinch it up really tight and their, their, their spear would be right there. Their sword would be ready for battle. And so what the belt does, and it's the belt of truth, it holds everything together. The belt of truth holds everything together. When you know the truth, the Bible says, Jesus said what? The truth will set you free. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Say that with me. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The problem is people say, well, what is truth? Whose truth? I thought truth was relevant. Your truth is different than my truth. It's either, you know, uh, like my, my professors say that everybody has a different truth. There's only one truth. There can't be various things that are true. It can't be true. Everything can't be true. If one person says one thing and another person says another thing, you, not both those things cannot be true. First and foremost, truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way. What else? The truth and the life. Jesus said he is the way. When you encounter truth, you encounter Jesus Christ. People have said for many years, you know, before, you know, before the, uh, today, many years ago, people would say that the world was flat. Okay, and that was truth. And that was truth. All of a sudden, they come to find out, oh, wait a minute, the world is not flat. The world is actually round. And, and now they come to find out that the world is really not actually round, but it's kind of an oval shape, you know, because of the way it's spinning on its axis. And so for the longest of the time, truth was that it was flat. But what's happened in the years that, that came after that is that the truth didn't change. What we call that is acquired knowledge. They started to learn more. And a lot of what you call truth is acquired knowledge. Things that people have learned, okay, well, that's not true anymore. This is, well, it's not, it's not that it was actually true at one time, but it's acquired knowledge. Okay, we know that this doesn't work, so this, this must work. And you see that with all kinds of things, you know. I mean, I remember there was a time that they were saying, and I don't know how many of you remember this, but there was a time when people were saying that eggs are bad for you. You remember that? Don't eat eggs. They're bad for you. They'll, they'll give you high cholesterol. They're, they're no good. And, and so the egg industry went, just tanked. Then all of a sudden, somebody came out and says, well, really, eggs, eggs are good for you. You need the protein in your body. Matter of fact, eggs are probably better for you than anything else. It's not really causing any damage to your cholesterol. You need eggs. And all of a sudden, there goes the egg market up again. And now eggs cost a lot. I wish they'd keep saying that they don't cost a lot. I love eggs. I never stopped eating them, by the way. This is acquired knowledge. There's things that people are looking at. And they're, they're evaluating, okay, that, uh, that maybe that's not true. But, but many people say, you know, follow that science. Follow what they're saying because they're the experts. And when you know the truth, and I'm not just talking about in science and everything, but when you know the truth in philosophy, when you know the truth in scripture, when you know the truth in the Bible, then not, that sets you free. Nothing can deter you from anything else. This is why Paul says, you got to have this belt of truth because that holds everything together. What are some biblical things that you may have heard that may have happened, you know, that, that you keep thinking about? Well, some things are, of course, of Satan. That Satan has these horns dressed in red and long tail and a pitchfork. Satan, the Bible calls him an angel of light. He doesn't come to you that scary. He comes to you wanting to entice you. And uh, the things that I just mentioned a little while ago, he comes to you as an angel of light, making you want to believe that everything is good. You're going to be all right. You know, he doesn't come to you and says, you know what, I, I want you to give me your heart. 
You know, as a matter of fact, let me just rip it out of your chest. Let me rip your heart out of your chest and let me chew it up. And let me just chew it up and squeeze it as much as I can and then stomp it on the ground and just beat on it with all that I have and then take it and then toss it back at you in so many different pieces. And after I'm done with you, I'm going to go to your kids. That's not what he says, which is what he does. But he doesn't say that to you. He says, you know what? I can make life a lot easier for you. This is more pleasant. It's pleasing to the eyes. And it's good for knowledge, as he told Eve. And look, it even tastes good. Did God really say that you're going to die? You're not going to die. You know, that's just, that's a fallacy. Satan comes as an angel of light, and Paul says you need to know the truth. The Bible says you need to know the truth. As a matter of fact, when we go into Philippians chapter 1, look at this in your outlines. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul says, you know, I just, I want you to know this, this truth. You got to have this discernment and understanding. You got to have this ability to be able to see the right from the wrong. And instinctively, you have in you these moral guides that God has placed in you. And instinctively, you know what is true and you know what is false. You know what it is that you should do and you know what it is that you shouldn't do. The problem is, is that the sin looks so much fun. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says that. The Bible says that sin is fun, but only for a season. Because if sin was a bummer, nobody would do it. And it entices you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the second part that he says, put on, put, uh, put on the belt of truth. And then he says, after he says, Stand therefore fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, you have righteousness that God has given you because of Jesus Christ. And this, the breastplate is the, is the, it covers the vital organs. And in the Roman days, the breastplate was made of a hard leather, sometimes of metal. And you'd see them sometimes as chinks of your armor. They would just put it on and it would help protect you from anything to penetrate your heart, your lungs, your liver, or your kidneys, your vital organs. And when you put on a breastplate of righteousness, what you're doing is you're putting on Jesus Christ's righteousness. He's the one that is righteous. He is the one that has been made right. And he is the one that has made you right. When you have committed your life to Christ, you have his righteousness. And Paul says, you got to put that on. Now, one of the things that you have to see here, as Paul is describing these, these articles of this body armor, he says, you put on the belt. You put on this breastplate of righteousness. And you cannot put on a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness and your shoes that are shod with the gospel of peace unless you have God's equipment. That's his body armor. That's his body armor. He equips you with the very basic belt, breastplate, and shoes. And those are pretty much basic for most people. You'll have a coat or a shirt or something covering your, your, your body. You'll have something to fasten your clothes together with and you'll have shoes on. That's basic 101 clothing, right? Thank you for wearing clothes today that keep you warm and keep your pants up. Some of these guys, they walk around, well, you know, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> I've, I've already put that image in your mind, didn't I? 
They need the belt of understanding. They need a chicote. What they need. We, we need to get suited and booted properly. You put on this belt. You get yourself ready. And this is something that you must do on a regular basis. You can't just put on your clothes and then that's it. You change. In, in, spiritual se- in a spiritual setting, you put on this, this belt all the time. You put it on. Belt of truth. Okay, well, is this true? Let me put the belt of truth back on. Let me see if this is true. What does the Bible say? Well, let's put the belt of truth back on. The righteousness. You know, I feel so unrighteous. I feel so dirty. I feel so indignant. I feel so lost. You have been made righteous. And then the third piece is your shoes that Paul says. The, the shoes, uh, and, I, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're going to talk about the gospel in the next few weeks. On Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to introduce the book of Philippians. We're going to talk about the gospel as we go through the book of Philippians and talk more about what that means. But gospel basically means the good news. When you are ready to share the good news with other people, that brings good news. We are a lost and wicked generation. You have the gospel of peace to share with other people. Number two, the protection Jesus provides. He goes on to say, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This shield of faith, the shield was made of, of wood with very heavy leather on the outside. And it was designed in such a way that you can link up next to another soldier so that it would build this wall, this barrier, all as, as long as you wanted to. As many soldiers as you had, you can build up this barrier. And with this barrier, it was like a wall. You couldn't break through it. It would be this wall of soldiers being able to get through whatever battle that they were going through. And this shield that Paul is looking at, more than likely of a Roman soldier, is the shield that each one of you have to have. It's a shield of faith. you got to have faith. you got to have faith that God exists. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11.1, read this with me. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This hope that the Bible talks about is not an I wish type of thing. This hope is an expectation. Faith is the assurance of things that you're expecting to happen. They're going to happen. Jesus Christ will return. The conviction of things not seen. You don't see the spiritual warfare going on, but as you've been learning, you see that there's spiritual warfare around us. And that is what is tripping us up. And the more that we pay attention to that, instead of God's word. And the shield of faith, and with the shield of faith, every time that Satan throws a lie at you, these flaming darts, that's what they are. These flaming darts that Paul is referring to are the lies that he throws at you, are the words that people have used against you, are the words that people have, that you have used against somebody else. When you say something negative, when you say something awful about another person, guess what? Satan grabs it, sticks it in his quiver. And the next time that you guys are talking, he starts throwing those darts. He starts throwing those darts. And if you don't have your shield of faith up, you're going to take everything that that person is thinking or trying to insinuate, and you're going to say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I just said that, you know, I, I like your haircut. Well, why? Didn't you like it yesterday? But what did I do to it today that it makes it different? You ever get in an argument like that, by the way? You know, people just, you say something, you ever get in an argument like that? Yeah. You say, you know, you look really nice today. Why? I didn't look nice yesterday? Like, you know, I don't know if this ever happens to men, but a, a, a husband might ask a wife, you know, do I look fat? <laughs> Most guys know you shouldn't even answer that. Just stand there. Yeah, does this make me look fat? Oh, no. Well, you think I'm, <laughs> anyways. 
That's what Satan uses. He uses those words and he throws them at you. And there's sometimes that we're just, we have put our shield down. We feel comfortable. We're in a very good spot. And when we get into some certain very difficult situations, we don't even have our shield up. And this is why God says, Paul is telling us to put up our shield of faith. Have the faith that all things are going to work together for good. The helmet of salvation, of course, it protects the mind, your thoughts. It protects everything that you're thinking about. It protects the things that are going through your mind and how they're changing and how they are growing. Once you've gotten truth in your mind, you want to cover it up and keep it there and let not anyone else tell you the difference. And of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is your defense. That's the only weapon that you have to be able to go in the offense. You know what? That is wrong. God's Word says, that is wrong. This is what the Word of God says. You have to know your word. There's no two ways about it, beloved. I give you the verses on the outline so you can take them with you. I give them so that you can you can look at these uh, and so that you can memorize them and look at them. But most importantly, you need to get into your word. You need to find out where all these things are at. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. And let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. I don't understand that stuff, Pastor Sal. It's okay. Don't, don't worry about the things you don't understand. Worry about the things you do understand, as I said many times before. Read the Bible. Number three in the back of your outlines, the weapons the Spirit inspires. See, and here's the weapon that you have. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Paul was not beyond being, you know, super apostle. He says, pray for me. Pray for me. I ask you to pray for me as well. You know, I don't need to be healthy. I don't need to be wealthy. I'm not asking you to pray for me to, to, to have a mansion or a jet airplane. I don't know what I'd do with one of those anyways. I'm not asking for those types of things. You know, I'm asking you to pray for me. As Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That's all I want to do. If you want to pray for me, pray for me that I may be able to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to your loved ones, to people, to all those around us. That is the prayer I ask for you, for me. For which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And, you know, and sometimes the, the oppression of the enemy is so heavy. Sometimes the oppression of the, I feel kind of almost embarrassed sometimes to, to share the gospel. And when I feel the oppression of the enemy and I feel, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to do it. That's when I need to step out even more so than I have. And I've been able to share the gospel with other people. I, I, I tend to think that I don't have the ability to speak in, in Spanish and I don't. But whenever I have to proclaim the gospel in Spanish, I always ask the Holy Spirit. I says, Holy Spirit, if ever there was a time that I needed to learn how to speak in tongues, let it be now. I want to be able to proclaim your gospel in this language. And those are the things that I'm asking you to pray for your pastor for. You, you know, if I were to get sick, and, and I appreciate you when I, uh, praying for me when I was in the hospital, but I wasn't asking for healing. I was not asking for God to heal me. I wasn't asking you to pray for me that I get healed and out of the hospital. I was asking you to pray for me that God's will would be done in my life while I was in that hospital. That his will, that God would keep me there until his will was done. That he would hold me and keep me there until what he was trying to accomplish, he would accomplish either in me or in the person next to me, the doctors, the nurses, or whatever the case may be. And that's what I will pray for and ask you to pray for, at least in my life. 
But praying all the time, this is something that we do all the time. And of course, you're not going to be in the posture of prayer all the time. But this is a thought, a process, you know, pray without ceasing. Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, see that no one repays anyone for evil, evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And how do you do that? Well, give thanks for everything. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know what the will of God is? He wants you to give thanks. He wants you to keep praying. I, I want to know God's will. Here it is. God's will is you keep praying and giving thanks. Give me thanks for what? For getting here safely, for having a warm coat, for having a place to sit, for having some food to eat, water to drink, a car to drive, a house to live in. I mean, you know, you want me to go on? I can go on and on and on and on and on. For dirt to be able to grow nutrients, for the oxygen that we have, for friends that we, we sometimes like and don't like, you know, <laughs> just, just for work, for being able to have a bank account, a checking account. Do you know, let me just stop right there real quick because I can go on and on and on. Do you know that you are so blessed beyond measure, you don't even realize? You see, two-thirds of the world would love to have your problems. They would love to have your problems. What? You can't find a parking space? I don't even have a car. Well, well, I, I got to sleep in a room with, with two other people. You got a room? I got to sleep outside. Yeah, well, my bed is really hard. You got a bed? <laughs> you know, I, I got to sleep with the critters. You can sleep above the ground without spiders and scorpions and snakes coming in. You, you can do that. Says, yeah, you know. I mean, it's just, it's, but I got to sleep. It's, it's a hard bed. You know, and, it, <laughs> and, and then I got to share with other people. You got people? I don't even have mom and dad anymore. The world out there, beloved, would love to have your problems. Do you know that our garbage disposals eat more food than most people in the world? You are blessed beyond measure. Beloved, the most ungrateful heart is the most wicked heart. If you cannot find any place in your heart to give thanks to God, then there's something definitely not right. You give God the thanks for everything. Paul says, with all supplication. To supplicate means to humbly ask. Humbly ask God for other people. And this is what brings us to the last one, the encouragement of other people. And Paul finishes off this letter by saying, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. And Tychius and the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. You see, Paul was in prison. And so he gave this letter to Tychius. And Tychius takes it over to the, to the people in Ephesus. And he'll tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. You see, Paul was in prison. Paul was getting ready to be executed. And Paul yet was encouraging other people. Sometimes some of the most effective ministry is done through the storm in the storm that you're going through, as you encourage other people. Then he says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. A love that you cannot mess up. You cannot corrupt this love. This love that Jesus Christ gives, it cannot be messed up because it's Jesus' love. My love, your love, the love that we give people, that's corruptible. We love because, we love when, we love if. God, the Bible says God is love. That's it. And my love is sometimes, it comes with conditions. You know, you've got to meet my conditions before I can love you. God says, I made you, and I love you, and you're mine. And that's all there is to it. This is why Paul says, therefore, encourage one another 
with these words. When Paul is talking to the people in Thessalonica in chapter 4, he says, you know, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know this, that, you know, that Jesus Christ is returning. And when he returns, he's going to take us with him. And everything is going to be set straight. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Because there's a lot of things that are going on. A lot of things that have happened. A lot of things that are going to happen. And Paul says, encourage one another with these words. These are the things. And you got to encourage one another. Christianity is not, a, is not a religion of one, of solitude, of living up in the mountain. Christianity is a, is a family. And we need to encourage one another. Paul closes this off by saying, I want you to know that I'm in chains, I'm suffering, but you know what? I want to encourage you. And that's what my brother's going to do. When he gets there, he's going to encourage you. And you encourage other people. One last, one last verse that I just thought about right now. In 2 Corinthians, if you go backwards a little bit, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in the affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for that promise. I know that many of us, or some of us, are going through stuff in our life that is just unbearable. And I know, God, that those things that we go through, you're going to use to be able to comfort other people. And I pray that in the process of mourning, of sorrow, the process of these tribulations that are coming, that have come to some, in the process of all the trials and the temptations and the tests that we've all gone through, I pray, God, that you help us to put on this Armor of God, your armor. That you help us to put on the basic necessities as the belt that we need of truth, basic truth, your word. This breastplate of righteousness. These shoes that are going to protect our feet where we go, where we stand, and to be able to stand firm. And to have this the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and, and the sword, which is your word. You never asked us to fight. You've never asked us to advance. You've asked us to stand firm. Because we know that when we stand firm, the devil will flee. Lord, we thank you for this portion of scripture that you've given us as we journey on to the next book. And just the beautiful truth that Paul has for us in the book of Philippians. And the four chapters that we will read and that we'll study together. So that our minds can be set in the salvation that you have given us. Father, we continue to pray for this day as we enjoy ourselves with our friends and family, thinking about you, always praying. We thank you, Father, until we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen and amen. All right. Next week, we'll see you at our Seder. I pray that we can get a lot of people here. All right? I'll be up here for you.